Uh, good morning. Open, uh, open your Bibles to Ephesians 3, if you would, and while you're turning there, let me tell you why I am so excited to be with you. Uh, first, to meet you and greet you as a church, but uh, the main reason, besides just hanging out with Al uh, this, this last couple of days, who is my friend, the main reason I wanted to come was to thank you for your partnership with Sovereign Grace. Uh, we are a, a family of churches, and what I want you to know is you are a very important family member. Uh, Palm Vista Church uh, strengthens our family, is what I'm trying to say. Uh, let me give you, I'm not just saying that as a platitude, let me give you a specifics as to why you are so important to our family of churches and to our partnership. Uh, first of all, over the last year or so, uh, Al, as you know, has served on the board, and that has cost you. He's, he's had to give time to that, and you felt that a bit as a church, and so can I thank you for that? Can I thank you for praying for him? Can I thank you for encouraging him? Al has, has played a very unique role. He brings a very unique voice that we need to hear. And so I'm very grateful for him, grateful for his voice, grateful for your hard work, Al. Thank you. But you couldn't do that without your church praying for you. And so thank you for your prayers and thank you for just, just really encouraging Al through that time. Very grateful for that. Here's, here's the second reason I'm very grateful for you as a church, and for you as a part of our family. God has called you to proclaim the gospel in South Florida, and I believe beyond into Latin America. An illustration of that is thank you for planting out Jose Prado. That, That was a wonderful act of sacrifice on your part and an expression of the heart for the gospel. I want you to know my prayer joins your prayers for Jose as he spreads the gospel in Miami. May God bless what he's doing. May God bless his work for the gospel. May many be saved in that area of Miami that he's in. That's just one expression of your partnership in the gospel that that you express so tangibly. However, I believe you're called to plant more churches in the future. Uh, Not only here in South Florida, but I believe potentially in Latin America. I've had this subjective sense Throughout the weekend, I was praying for you yesterday morning in my devotions, and the Lord just keeps, me, keeps directing me back to Psalm 105. I'm going to read the first verse to you. This is what he's laid on my heart, even again in worship this morning. It says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. So that's an expression of prayer. Call upon his name. And then this, here's why you're calling upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Peoples is plural. Peoples means you're called to make known his deeds, the deeds that Christ has done for us to many peoples and tribes and tongues and nations. That's what I believe you are uniquely called to do as a church. And so I'm going to pray for you that way. And you know what? Sovereign grace is going to learn from you. Um, We need you in sovereign grace. We're so glad you're in sovereign grace because we're going to learn from you. There are things that you've not already, already teach, have taught us, but I believe will teach us in the future. So those are a couple of reasons I am so grateful for you as a church, so grateful for your partnership, so glad that you are an important family member in the Sovereign Grace family of churches. So that's why I was excited to be with you. All right, on to Ephesians 3. And by the way, um, I may come in a couple of weeks and hear the most holy Reverend Alpino teach on the Ten Commandments. I may do that. I just kind of took Corey's and just expanded a little bit. 
Al asked me to preach from Ephesians 3 on prayer. And I believe it's in a couple of weeks as well that you're going to spend a week as a church in fasting and prayer. You, you dedicate sometime in September fairly annually to pray. And so I pray that this message encourages you as you begin to head towards that week, just a couple weeks down the road. Have you ever noticed how genuine Christianity takes the way we instinctively think and live and it turns it upside down? So let me give you some illustrations. We don't instinctively think that the last shall be first. And yet it's one of the ways that Jesus has taught us to live. We don't instinctively think that weakness is good. Let's be honest. If you and I were God, we would have never thought of this plan that the Son of God would come into this world and die on the cross for our sins. And on that cross die in weakness, that would be the greatest demonstration of God's power. We would have never thought of that. We don't instinctively think that weakness is good for us. And yet God says to us in his word that his power is made perfect in what? In our weakness. In fact, we can instinctively think that as we mature and grow as Christians, what should be happening in our lives is that our weaknesses should diminish And if we're really mature, we don't have any weaknesses. And yet, if you study the people in the Bible, the opposite is true. As they mature as Christians, they're growing, they're becoming more like Christ. However, they live more aware of their weaknesses and more content with their weaknesses. Now, Paul, the man who wrote this letter to the Ephesians, if you study him and you track his maturity as a Christian, that's what you see. He began his ministry by saying that he was a sinner. By the end of his ministry, he was calling himself the chief of sinners. You're tracking his his maturity, right? Or when he gets to that place in 2 Corinthians 12 and he has this thorn that we don't really know exactly what it is, how does he respond to that thorn in his side? He says, it's been there to weaken me. And now I want to embrace my weakness. I'm going to live content with my weakness Because when I am weak, then he is strong. And we know from Scripture that that Paul Nine lived aware, content of his weaknesses. He took his weaknesses and he converted them to prayers. Desperate prayers, desperate pleas for God's power. And we know that because some of his prayers, they're preserved for us in Scripture. And one of those prayers is here in chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 3. Verses 14 through 21. As we step back, as we look at this passage, here's essentially what we're going to learn from this passage. Prayer petitions God for power. Prayer petitions God for power. Let's let's read this prayer. You can begin reading with me in verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth 
and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us to him, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we approach this prayer believing, verse 20, that you will do even more than we ask. We ask now that you would come and fill us with your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would fill this place with your Holy Spirit because we are reading your Holy Word. And we ask that the Spirit would bring it to life, not only in our minds and in our hearts and in our understanding, but bring it to life in the way we are to live it out. We pray for that kind of power because we, we can't make the, work, the Word of God work out in our lives apart from your strength. And so we pray for it now. And as that power works in our lives, as we apply these verses to our lives May you receive all the glory, for you alone are worthy. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Paul begins this prayer by saying in verse 14, for this reason. So the question is, for what reason? For what reason is Paul praying this prayer? I think we get an idea of, that, of the answer to that question in chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. So look at chapter 3. Look at the verses, a few verses earlier, verses 7 and 8. For what reason? I believe this is the answer. He says, Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. So note the reference to power there. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints. So notice his, his reference to his weakness. He's calling himself the, the least of all the saints. This grace was given For what purpose? To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And so we see in those verses that Paul had this experience. He was aware of his weakness. He calls himself the very least of all the saints. And so he prays for power. And power comes. God gives him power. For what purpose? This this power, this grace was given to him so that he can proclaim the riches of Christ. He can proclaim the gospel to those who don't know. It's it's for that same reason that he's praying this prayer for the Ephesians. He wants the Ephesians to have power so that the gospel continues to work out in their life. Through gospel proclamation to unbelievers and through gospel application as we seek to apply the gospel and grow and become more like Jesus Christ. See, Paul was a man who regularly prayed for power, and the reason he asked God for power is so that the gospel would continue to be worked out in his life. And so that's what we're going to pray. Isn't that a great way to pray, actually? That God would give us grace and the gospel would, would work out in our lives and that we would be used to proclaim it. As you go into your fast and prayer week, have that anticipation. Have that kind of faith that God's going to answer your pleas for power. He's going to answer your prayers so that the gospel will go forth 
in your life and in the lives of others. So it's for that reason that we're praying. And then from that now, we see three things that we learn about prayer from this passage. Here's the first thing. Prayer expresses humble dependency. Prayer expresses humble dependency. We see that in verses 14 and 15. He says, for this reason, so we know why he's praying. What does he do? He bows his knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Now, this, this bowing of the knee is not just sort of a, a religious act on his part. It, it communicates reverence and awe and worship to God. See, in that sense, that's an expression of true humility. See, humility is not primarily about our morality. It's not primarily about the words we use to speak to one another. It's not even primarily about the words we use when we pray. It's more the heart that we bring into prayer, that we see God for who He is, and so we bow down. And who is God? Well, the verse tells us that He is the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So what does that mean? What does Paul mean there? Well, it's a reference where he's referring to God as Creator. So he's created every family in heaven. He's talking about the fact that God created angels. And he's created every family on earth. Everyone ever born has been created by God. And so we see this expression of prayer is this. It's a reflection of the creator-creature relationship. It's the creature. It's the finite being who's been created by the creator who goes to the creator the one who has created the universe and says in your great power, do in my life what I can't do myself because I don't have that kind of strength. See, prayer is an expression of humble dependency upon our Father, upon the Creator. Because we as finite individuals, we have our weaknesses, we have our limitations, and so we go to God. and We fall upon our knees and we ask Him to give us power. See, prayer is the cry of the weak to the heart of the strong. That's what prayer is. Have you ever noticed how God will bring events into our lives? He'll bring trials and troubles into our lives at times to make us aware of our limitations, to make us aware of our weaknesses. Let me tell you one way that God has done that in, in my life. My, my wife, Jill, and I, we've been married for 34 years. Uh, we have three daughters, 33, 31, 27. I think I got that right. We have six grandchildren. We love being grandparents. And about, about six years ago now, our middle daughter, Kelly, just came down with the flu. And she had the, the stomach flu for a couple of days, and she got dehydrated. And so we took her to our local hospital, Paoli Memorial Hospital, took her to the emergency room. They, they rehydrated her. But upon uh, admission into the ER, they drew blood. And the blood test showed that her red blood cell count and her platelet count was way below normal. And so they decided to admit her. And over the next couple of days, what happened is that her her red cell count and her platelet count, it dropped even more. And not only was that happening, her, her kidneys were beginning to fail. The doctors had no diagnosis. So the third day at our local hospital, they made a decision to transfer her into Philadelphia to the University of Pennsylvania Hospital, which is in the city of Philadelphia. It was a Sunday. I'll never forget following the ambulance down 95 into the city. We got her admitted, got her settled in her bed, and 
It was around 11, 11.30, we drove back home, about a half hour drive to where we live. We went to bed, and in the middle of the night, we were awakened about 2.30 in the morning. There was a nurse on the other side of the phone, and she said, Mr. Prater, she said, you need to come to the hospital now. Your, your daughter has been admitted into ICU, and her kidneys are even worse. Jill and I, we sprung out of bed, we, we got dressed, we got in our van, we're driving down 95, and I'm holding Jill's hand, and I'm praying a prayer that no father wants to pray. Lord, spare the life of my daughter. See, in that moment, if I could, if I had the strength and the power to take her place, like any other father, I would do that. In that moment, if I had that kind of power and strength to to touch her and heal her, I would have done that. But I don't have that kind of power. We don't have that kind of strength. We don't have that kind of power. You have your trials. You have your difficulties. There, There are these difficulties that come into our lives that have many good purposes to them. And one of them is to make us aware that we are creatures and not the Creator. It's to make us aware that we have weaknesses and limitations. And so in those moments, what are we to do? We're to fall on our knees. And in humble dependency, pray and ask God for His power. And the falling on the knees, by the way, if you study the language being used here, the falling on the knees not only communicates reverence and awe, it communicates a a fervency and an urgency to prayers. These are passionate prayers that Paul is praying here. He's not just kind of just going through it in a mundane way. He's crying out with passion, with fervency. Give me power. Give the Ephesians power. See, trials, hardships, difficulties, they're intended to be used in our lives so that we will live more dependent upon God in prayer and ask Him for His power. So let me ask you a question. Where in your life, where in your life right now do you need God's power? That's the place God wants you to pray. So that's the first thing we we learn. Prayer expresses humble dependency. Here's the second thing. Prayer is a plea for power. It's a plea for power. Now, I, I want you to be convinced, not by my words, I want you to be convinced by the word of God that when you pray and you ask God for power, he is able to answer your prayer. He is able to give you power. How do you know that? Verse 16. Look at verse 16. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the spirit in your inner being. So how do you know? That God can answer your pleas for power. You know because God has riches of glory. He has infinite riches of glory to draw from. That's how you know. But what does that mean, riches of glory? That's not a phrase we use a lot. What does that mean, riches of glory? Well, glory, as it's being used here, essentially means all of God's attributes. So when we pray... What's available to us is infinite riches of God's goodness and of God's love and of God's wisdom, of God's strength and of God's power and of God's grace. That's what Paul is referring to when when he says infinite riches of glory. He means that kind of power. Power that that is available to us, this, this deep well, this infinite well of goodness and grace and strength and love that God is is eager to give us. And there's an amazing truth here we can't, we can't pass in verse 16. Because God is infinite, 
His power is greater than any need we have. In other words, we can keep coming to God with our needs, and our needs will never impoverish God. We will never drain God of His supply of power because it is infinite riches of glory that God has. Because God's resources are eternal and inexhaustible, He cannot be impoverished by the needs of His people. And so when you go into this fast and prayer week, believe that. Go in faith. God is going to answer your prayers because He has infinite riches of glory to draw from. Let me, let me illustrate this way. Um, I grew up in the Midwest part of the country. I grew up in the state of Indiana. Anybody know where the state of Indiana is? Barely. All right, barely. All right, some of you. Okay, it's in the middle part of the state. And I, I grew, I was born in Peoria, Illinois, and, uh, and then lived later in Indiana. But it, while I lived in Peoria, Illinois, my, my grandparents had a farm. And I can remember as a young boy uh, playing on this farm and working on this farm with my grandfather. And there's many things I remember about this farm, but I, one of them is I could be out there on a summer day, I could be working with my grandfather or playing, and obviously it was hot, I got thirsty. And one of the unique things about this farm is that near a shed, they had this pipe that came out of the ground, they had a, a spigot on top with a, a handle on it, and they had a tin cup tied to it. And so anytime during, the, during that day when I got thirsty, when I was really thirsty, I could go to that spigot I could take that cup I could pull up the handle and there was this cold refreshing water and that water it was always there and it was always cold and it was always refreshing and when I drank that down I was refreshed I was I was strengthened you see that's what we do when we pray in our weakness we take our tin cups and we go to the well of the infinite riches of glory And we dip that cup in and we drink down his love and his goodness and his strength and his grace and his power. That's what prayer is. Isn't that a wonderful thing that God allows us to do when we pray? See, believe that God has infinite riches of glory to draw from. And therefore, he will answer your prayers. Now, let me just be honest with you. Every time I read this passage, every time I study to preach this sermon, one of the things I'm always affected by is, if that's true, then why don't I pray more than what I do? Yeah, now, we, uh, let, let's be honest. We all feel like we don't pray enough. I, I realize that. I know I, I always feel that way. But if that's true, if that's so true, why don't I pray more? So I had a pastor. I was wrestling with this, and I had a pastor help me with it. You may know him. His name is Charles Spurgeon. And uh, even though he's not alive, he still helped me, and maybe he'll help you. Listen to what he says. It is strange how little we make of the spiritual blessings which God gives us. But it is stranger still how little use we make of God himself. Though he is our own God, we apply ourselves but little to him and ask but little of him. How seldom do we ask counsel at the hands of the Lord? How often do we go about our business without seeking his guidance? In our troubles, how constantly do we strive to hear, to bear our our burdens ourselves instead of casting them upon the Lord that he may sustain us? This is not because we may not, for the Lord seems to say, I am thine soul, I'm, I'm yours soul. Come and make use of me as you will. You may freely come to my store, and the oftener, the more welcome. And then Spurgeon says this, it is our own fault 
if we make not free with the riches of our God. Infinite riches of glory are available to us. And so let us go. Let us go even more often and receive his power and receive his strength. So are you enjoying that? Are you enjoying these infinite riches of glory? Now, application for you. When you go into the fasting and prayer in a couple of weeks, pray big prayers. Ask God big things. Go with all your requests and don't limit what God can do. Because we're going to see in a moment, he even does more than what we ask. In verse 20. Now, note what happens when we pray for power. What's so good about these verses is we can know whether this power is working in our lives. So how do we, what happens when we pray for power? Look at, look at verse 16 again. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the spirit in your inner being. So when we pray for power, the, the Holy Spirit is at work. And the Spirit gives us power. And where does that power go, according to that verse? Our inner being. It's talking about our our heart. It's talking really about our, our souls. That's helpful to know because we can know from this verse then whether we're experiencing God's power in our inner being. So how do we know if we're experiencing God's power in our inner being? Verse 17 answers that question. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So when God's infinite power is working in our inner being through the work of the Holy Spirit, what Paul is saying is there is this transforming effect in our lives where we are changed over time for the rest of our lives where we are becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. In other words, as verse 17 says, through the working of his power, we are becoming more like Jesus, the one who dwells in us. That's what that verse is saying. D.A. Carson says it this way. This is a plea for power. Power to be holy. Power to think, act, and talk in ways utterly pleasing to Christ. Power to strengthen moral resolve. Power to walk in transparent gratitude to God. Power to be humble. Power to be discerning. Power to be obedient and trusting. Power to grow in conformity to Jesus Christ. In other words, this power being talked about here in Scripture is not some abstract thing. It's real. It's real in our lives. And so when we pray for it, it works in our inner being and it changes us so that we become more and more like Jesus Christ. And so when we pray, we've got to pray that with this kind of faith that he who began a good work in us, he'll do what? He'll carry it to completion. Partly because he gives us power to be sanctified and to grow and become more like Jesus Christ. This is an important prayer. Because if you're like me, you're vulnerable at times to have these wrong thoughts about God. You can have a few days where just things aren't going well. And you're discouraged. You're wondering, Lord, what are you doing? You can have days where maybe you've had a conflict with your spouse or, or a relational strife, or your boss has just been really demanding and you respond with, with anger. All those, all those kind of things that we face in the mundane, in the day-to-day. And in those moments, we can be vulnerable to think wrong thoughts about God. We can be vulnerable to think that God is disappointed with us. We can be, we can be vulnerable to think that God is kind of just backing away from us. 
kind of fold in his hands and say, you, you work that out. And when you do, then, then I'll step back into your life. Those are wrong thoughts about God. And we know that partly knowing because the gospel would tell us differently. We know that because in this verse, Christ dwells within us. In those tough days, in those sinful days, Christ hasn't left. He still dwells within us. And so we can pray in those moments and His transforming power will work in our lives and it will transform us. It will change us. And so if you're here this morning and you're, you're frustrated with your growth as a Christian in some way, you just feel like I haven't been growing in the way I want, one of the things that you can do is to cry out for strength from God. Cry out for power. And He is eager to answer those prayers. Now, there's one other thing that happens when we pray for power. We see, we see that. But secondly, there's another thing that happens when we pray for power. We see that in verses, the, the second half of verse 17 through 19. So, second half of verse 17, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend. What do we need to comprehend? With all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now we know that Paul is writing to Christians here. He's using these foundational words, rooted and grounded. In other words, what he's saying is that you've been born again. You've been born again by the powerful work of the Spirit regenerating your heart, you've repented of your sin, and you have given your life and placed your faith in Jesus Christ. And in that sense, he's writing to Christians who know the love of Christ, right? When you become a believer, you know the love of Christ. And then he says to them, you got to pray for strength to know it. So if you already know it, why do you need strength and power to know it? That's the question. Well, remember verse 14. We are creatures. We are finite. We're not the creator. We have this limited ability to grasp and understand and know the infinite love of God. That's what he's saying. And so he says you need strength. You need to to be given power to know the unknowable. The limitless love of Jesus Christ. That's why he prays that that we would know the the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. In other words, we need the power of God to know the unknowable, to know the love that God has for us. Now, don't get this verse wrong. We we can be vulnerable to get this verse wrong. This is not a prayer that you and I would love God more. It's not a prayer that you and I would love Jesus more. It's a prayer that we would know more. His infinite love for us, for each and every one of us. Paul's saying, never arrive as a believer in saying that you know how much Jesus loves you because you don't know how much he loves you. And so pray for power. As I was just preparing for this morning, I was praying the last couple of days for you as a church. There may be some of you here today who are just been doubting God's love. And if that's you, we all understand. I understand. Because I have those moments in my life where I doubt, I don't really know how much Christ loves me. And if that's you, we're we're, we're probably going to pray for you today. The Spirit would fill you. 
and that you would be given power to know the breadth and length and height and depth of the infinite love that Christ has for you. Okay, third thing. We learn about prayer. Prayer, number three, prayer reveals the glory of Christ. Prayer reveals the glory of Christ. We see that in verses 20 through 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within where? Within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Answer prayer reveals that God not only can answer our prayers, it reveals He does more than what we ask. That's what the, that's what the verse says. Who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. That's why when you go into fast and prayer week in a couple of weeks, pray those big prayers. Because you're going to ask big things of God and He's going to do more. He's going to do more than that. That's what verse 20 tells us. And so when we pray for power to work in our lives, when we pray for gospel power to work in our lives. And husbands, we love our wives as Christ loved the church. We, we demonstrate the power of God. When, when we receive power and it works in our lives that we consider others more significant than ourselves, Philippians chapter 2, verse 4, we reveal the power of God is working in us. When we receive power and we are patient, when we are tempted to be angry with our kids, in that moment you are revealing the power of God. See, those, are all, those all seem like mundane moments. Those are not mundane moments. Those are glorious moments. Keep in mind that most of our growth as Christians doesn't occur in these big events. It occurs in the mundane of the day-to-day. That's where growth occurs. And so when God gives you power in the mundane and you respond in ways that he wants you to respond, you reveal the glory of Christ through answered prayer. Not only that, as we walk through troubles and trials and we walk through difficulties and in that we walk through with a sense of being secured by the love of God, with, with peace and at times even with joy because we know that God is with us and that God loves us. In that moment, when we walk through difficulties that way, we reveal the glory of God and the glory of Christ because he's answering our prayers. You see, what these verses partly say is that prayer, answer prayer, it reveals the glory of Christ. You know what I believe? God's going to answer your prayers as you fast and pray as a church, and this church is going to give God much glory as he answers those prayers. Now, I've finished this message one other time, and I didn't finish the story of Kelly. And so I had people run up to me, what happened to Kelly? They were kind of angry at me, actually. I, I'm like, oh, I, 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 sh- I guess I should finish. I understand. So just don't get angry at me. No, I'm joking. Kelly was in the hospital for 35 days, and God mercifully spared her life something she doesn't deserve. God was merciful to her. I remember, I'll just tell you a story to illustrate the point I'm making, is that I remember one day I was in her hospital room sitting next to her bed, and there's a physician that came in, a nephrologist, a kidney doctor, and had, they had struck up this friendship because they both liked baseball. My daughter likes baseball, so they would talk baseball. And even when he wasn't sort of assigned to her case, he would come back in and just talk with her. 
And this particular morning, he came in, and he said to her, Kelly, now, now how are you doing? And you look at her, you could tell she wasn't doing well. And she says, I'm doing, I'm doing well. And he looks at her, sort of puzzled and frustrated, and he says, why don't you complain? And then he looks at me. I'm just sitting there, right? He looks at me. Why doesn't she complain? I don't know. Ask her. That's what I said to him. So he asked her again, why don't you complain? Before he had walked into the room, she had been doing her devotions. She had her Bible out on her bed, and she said, well, let me tell you why I don't complain. And shared some scripture with him and shared the gospel with him. We don't know whether he was ever born again or not. I think she had more opportunities to do that. But what I do know is in that moment, in her weakness, probably the weakest moment of her life, she was the fragrance of Christ. Now, Kelly is not that good. And she's not that strong. I know I'm her dad. So why was she that way? Because God gave her power. In her weakness, his power was made perfect. That's what he wants to do in your life. That's what he's going to do in your life as you make these pleas for power. As we end, as I mentioned, I, I, do, I do wonder if some of you who may be here who are doubting how much God loves you. Oh, God wants you to not leave here without knowing how much he loves you. And so Al's going to come and he's going to pray now. He's going to pray for power. Lord, thank you for the opportunity we have now to take this word and apply it. Um, Lord, your power, your power to know your love. I forget, Father. I doubt it, Father. There are days that I simply don't believe it. And I hear the Lord saying to me, oh, you have little faith. And I cry out and I say, oh, God, I believe. Help my unbelief. And, I, and you've brought Mark here to preach this text to help our unbelief. To overcome it with truth and, and your spirit. And we're here as brothers and sisters to pray for one another. So, Lord, I pray those that, that need this would truly come forth and receive this ministry. In Jesus' name.